the text for the message today, and let me simply mention that the message I'm going to preach will continue into the evening service. I don't know how long it has been since I have been as burdened about a specific issue as I am the one I am addressing in the message today. And I've asked the uh, folks who uh, help us with our television ministry to make sure they're back this evening uh, and taping it. Normally we show the Sunday morning service, so those who who, uh, watch television see just our Sunday morning services. But um, next week they will see, or whenever they see this, they'll see the sequence which will be a televising of this evening's service because the message is one message, two parts. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on six warnings to the waiting. This morning and this evening, six warnings to the waiting. And before we stand together and before we read the text for the scripture message this morning, let me ask you if there is any issue in your life God is addressing, you know God is speaking to you about it, and you would confess that as of this service right now, you have yet to accommodate God's desire. You know God's speaking to you, you know what he wants, you know clearly his plan for your life. It could be that you're here this morning and God has been sending you signals of his love and of his grace and of his mercy and encouraging you to finally put aside your life to receive Christ by faith as your Savior, to trust in Him, to repent of sin and to trust in Him. For it is the only way that you can receive forgiveness and cleansing. It's the only way you can be reconciled to God. It's the only way that sinful heart of yours can have Christ in it as His home. It's the only way you'll ever spend your forever with God in heaven. And God may have been sending you signals. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe today in this worship service through what you've heard in the music, God has been saying, you know something? Today is the day. Now is the time. Trust me. Receive me by faith as your Savior and the Lord of your life. Is there any danger in waiting? Perhaps there is some issue in your life. Maybe it is a moral issue. Maybe it has to do with some habit in your life. Maybe it's something in your thought life. Maybe it has to do with your devotion to God, your prayer life, or the lack of prayer, your giving, or the failure to be a good steward according to biblical principles of the resources which God has given you. And you've just been waiting. Maybe you're engaged in a relationship and God's been telling you that this is not right, this is not good. And you've just been waiting. It's been hard for you to sever those ties, but you've been putting off doing what God wants you to do. This morning and this evening, six warnings to the waiting. The passage of Scripture, which is the text for the message actually begins in chapter 5 and concludes in chapter 11. We're not going to read all of those verses, but we are going to stand in a few moments and beginning with verse 27, read through the closing portion of chapter 10. Now, these are the verses which include the account of Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh. In this, this passage of Scripture, you'll find recorded the ten plagues. You'll find recorded the sign which Moses presented before Pharaoh in order just to get his attention, his calling card, so to speak, to remind Pharaoh that uh, in speaking with Moses, he was truly speaking with God's man, God's representative. 
We find in the very early portion of chapter 5, Moses' statement to Pharaoh, a clear explanation of God's will for Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. You remember, of course, that uh, over and over in these verses, it tells us that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Last Wednesday evening, we looked at those dangerously false assumptions which people have who who entertain the idea that it's all right to have a hardened heart. They, they assume that our heart is just naturally turned to God when the Bible says we are by nature sinners. They assume that God can only be or do what you want God to do, that God is limited by your definition of him, which the Bible tells us that God is beyond us. The creator is always larger than that which is created. People who have hardened hearts assume that... Uh, uh, for an individual's heart to be hardened, God would have to do something special when the truth of the matter is all God has to do is just refrain from speaking to us and let our heart become what it is by nature. And so you see over and over in these verses uh, in chapters 5 through 11, this statement, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And Pharaoh kept delaying. He kept putting off doing something that ultimately he was going to do. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh waited until all of Egypt was brought to its knees. The crops were destroyed. The cattle were destroyed. His servants were begging him to let the children of Israel go. His magicians, his sorcerers were saying, this is the hand of God, Pharaoh, you must let him go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He just kept putting it off until finally death visited the land. A sobering prospect is out there for people who wait to obey God, the reality of death. And finally, Pharaoh did what was requested from the very beginning. And when the children of Israel went out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt, exalted, they left behind them a land that had been absolutely destroyed, ravaged. As a matter of fact, I mean, you look at some of the things that we can do with weaponry today, and we've seen some awful and vivid examples of that in the last several weeks. You look at what people can do to each other. It was nothing compared to what had happened to Egypt before the children of Israel went out of that land. If they could stand on a hill and look back across Egypt, they would see dead cattle, dead people, piles of frogs. They would see that hail and pestilence had swept through. Crops were gone. I mean, it was an awful place. Even the Egyptians didn't want to live there, so much so that some of them begged the Israelites to take them with them. And you remember what Moses did. First of all, he came before Pharaoh and... Just to get his attention, he cast that rod on the ground. He and Aaron were there, and that rod became a snake. And the magicians of Pharaoh, they had a way of sort of duplicating that, and so they threw theirs down and, and rationalized away the, the impression that Moses had made. But while they were doing that, Moses' snake ate up theirs and became a rod again, and he went out. Unimpressed by that, the plagues then began, and you remember what they were. First of all, Moses saw to it that the water in all the land of Egypt was turned to blood. Water in the pots, water in the vessels, water in the rivers and creeks and streams. Every place you looked, the water had turned to blood. And Pharaoh's magician said, well, we have a way of doing that. 
and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then we read that the frogs came in the land. Moses said, all right, you don't want to obey God. Let the people go. There's going to be this terrible invasion of frogs. And it's, it's almost hilarious as you read the scripture. He said, they're going to be in your bedroom and in your bed. They're going to be in your ovens. Ladies, can you imagine opening up your oven and there's croak? There's, there's a frog. I mean, I can understand a cat in an oven. That seems natural. But a frog in an oven, that's unnatural. Frogs everywhere, everywhere they looked, in their home. We'll get a lot of phone calls on that. People will call in. That just gets our radio and TV ministry working here. Um, but frogs, every place they look. And, the, and it's incredible to me that uh, when Moses said, all right, Pharaoh, I'll, I'll withdraw this plague if you'll just let us go. Pharaoh says, uh, well, all right, I'll do that. And Moses said, when would you like for me to do that? And, and uh, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Now, can you imagine how dumb that statement is? Why didn't he say today, this minute, right now, get rid of them? You know, but he says, no, I'd like to spend one more night with the frogs. I'd, I'm in sort of enjoying this. And so there were the frogs. And then, and then there was lice. The dust became lice, and, and by this time, Pharaoh's magicians were stumped. They said themselves, only God could do this. And then that ushered in a series of plagues which affected the Egyptians but did not impact the Israelites. God seemed to draw a border around the land of Goshen. And there were flies, and then there was cattle disease, and there were boils, and then there was hail and pestilence, and then there were locusts, and then there, were, there was darkness. And finally, with Pharaoh's heart hardened, just, he just continued to wait. He just continued to wait. Finally, Moses confronted him with the sobering prospect of death. So this morning, I want you to think with me about God's warning, six warnings to the waiting. And if you are right now aware of anything God wants you to do, any decision God wants you to make, any sin he wants you to forsake, any mission he wants you to embark upon, any surrender that ought to take place in your life, if you are aware of anything God wants you to do, his desire for your life, and you have yet, as of this service time, agreed with God to the extent that you have accommodated him, I want you to listen to these warnings to the waiting. Stand with me, if you will, please, and let's read together this passage of Scripture, which tells us what happened with Pharaoh and Moses in Egypt just prior to that awful moment when death visited the home of every Egyptian. We're going to read together beginning with verse 27 in Exodus chapter 10, verse 27. I'd like for you to read these words aloud together with me. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get you from me. Take heed to yourself. See my face no more. For in that day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, You have spoken well. I will see your face again no more. Father, I pray, trusting, believing, that in the moments that we spend together this morning and then again in the evening service, that your Holy Spirit will visit us with a mighty visitation. Lord, I believe it is safe to say that virtually everyone watching, listening, and every one of us gathered here in this auditorium can think of some issue you have been addressing 
in our life and we've just put it off and put it off and put it off. Assuming that there was no real consequence to waiting to obey you. Thinking for some foolish reason that the enjoyment of this privilege, continuing in disobedience, was more pleasurable to us than fellowship and right standing with you. Father, show us how you begin a sequence in which you warn us with one warning after the other until we ultimately face the sobering prospect of death. Father, show us these warnings to the waiting. And Lord, for any man or woman here this morning or in the sound of my voice or watching on television who has just waited for something, they're not really sure what, to repent of sin, to trust in Jesus who died on the cross for their sin, and who has risen from the grave and can give them eternal life. Lord, I pray that in these moments they would decide to wait no longer. O Holy Spirit, come in power and in might and bring your conviction to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' wonderful and matchless and saving name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open to Exodus chapter 10. Six warnings to the waiting. What does God do when you make the deliberate decision not to obey him? The words of the psalmist in Psalm 95 ought to ring in our ears because they are words of God to his children, not to Pharaoh, but to his children. For you see, not only is this devastating for those who do not know Christ, it is devastating for those of us who do know Christ to harden our heart. Today, said the psalmist, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. What does God do? What has he already done in your experience? If, if you have delayed, if you are delaying, putting off obeying him, for some of you, as I said, is to trust Jesus as your savior. For some is to join a church. For others, it's to answer the call to some specific ministry. For others, it has to do with a decision regarding your relationship or your moral life or your thought life or your giving life or your devotional life or your, your ministry where you work or your ministry to your family, your loyalty, your fidelity. For some, it has to do with something buried way down deep in your heart. You know about it and God knows about it and God has been speaking to you about it, but you've just been waiting. You've put it off. And so today you still have not said yes to God. How does God deal with the man or the woman who is simply waiting to obey him? Let's look at the sequence with our Bibles open. First of all, God clearly and forcefully communicates his desire for your life. God clearly and forcefully communicates his desire for your life. What did Moses say to Pharaoh over and over again? He repeated this challenge from God. God, he said, God says to you, Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands this morning, but if I did, I would imagine virtually every hand in this auditorium would be raised. 
the hand of every honest person anyway. If I said, are you aware that God is addressing some issue in your life and, and as of today you have not accommodated him, you know what it is. You know it is a holy God speaking to your heart. You know exactly what God wants you to do, but yet you're not doing it. I think virtually every person here this morning might raise his hand. Yes, God's speaking to me. It could be about my devotional life or prayer life. I, some of these things I have already mentioned, God's speaking to me. It may have to do with my business or my home. It may have to do with my habits. God's speaking to me. I believe there'd be many people here, dozens of people here this morning who would say, you know something? God's Holy Spirit has been convicting me that now is the time to trust Jesus as my Savior, but I've not done it. Now, the interesting thing about that is that you know that it is God who is speaking, and you know that it is God who is speaking to you, and sitting here this morning, you know exactly what it is God wants you to do. You know what it is you're not doing that you ought to do, or what you are doing that you ought not to do. That's no mystery to you. God has made that plain to you, just as plain as God made his demands known to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Pharaoh didn't have to go to bed and say, well, I wonder what Moses was trying to tell me. I wonder what God wants with these people. He, every day that he lived, he knew what it was that God wanted. God wanted him to release the children of Israel from bondage and slavery. And every day that you live, you know exactly what God has desired of you. That good thing he wants you to do that you've not done. That bad thing he wants you to forsake. That sin, and you've not forsaken it. That moment to trust in Christ as your Savior, or to join a church, or to serve him. You know what it is. You know it is God. You know he's speaking to you. You know what he wants. He has clearly and forcefully communicated his desire to you. By the way, notice this key truth. I hope you won't allow this to slip by today. Did you know that your attention to this message, I mean, the very fact that you're listening to this message this morning is an indication that God has undertaken the responsibility of seeing that you hear the gospel. Some of you here this morning say, I've never trusted in Jesus, repented of sin, received Christ by faith as my Savior. The fact that this, you're here this morning leaves you without excuse. It is an indication, the fact that you're listening this morning, that God in his grace and his mercy has come to you and said, listen, if you don't receive Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior, you're going to spend your forever separated from him in hell. You will never be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't know that. God, I didn't hear that. He will bring you back to this morning, this service, this preacher, this scripture, these songs, and remind you, yes, I did. I told you how that all were sinners and separated from God, and that the wages of sin was death, and that the gift of God is eternal life. But you heard that message, and you chose to reject it. But this is where it all begins, with a clear and forceful indication of his desire for you. Now this morning, what if you choose to reject his will one more time? What if sitting here this morning you say, look, I know when they come to the close of this service, the pastor is going to issue God's invitation to trust in Jesus. Or the pastor is going to open up this altar, and, and I know he will make an appeal for believers in Christ who, who have something in their life they need to set aside or something they ought to do that they need to undertake. It's God's will, and he's going to invite them to come to the altar. But I'm not going to go this morning. I'm not going to make that decision this morning. 
I'll not follow the Lord's command to be baptized. I'm not going to join the church. I'm not going to give that up today. As a matter of fact, as soon as this preacher finishes, I'm going to go out and get in my car, and I'm going to drive off this parking lot, and I'm probably am not going to think about that for another week. Even then, I may not even come back because I don't like him addressing these issues in my life. So what if you choose or have already chosen to reject what is God's clear and forceful reflection, indication of his desire for your life? What's the next thing that God does? Well, you will witness a demonstration of God's sovereign power and authority. Somehow, some way, and you know this, I don't have to convince you of this. God's going to get your attention and let you know that you're not running the show. He's running the show. You're going to be a personal witness to a demonstration of God's power. You may see it out there in the world. You may see it in your home. What did Aaron do when he and Moses went before Pharaoh? Moses nudged him and said, look, throw down that rod. And the Bible says he cast down his rod and his rod became a serpent. That was just a clear demonstration of God's power. And Pharaoh saw it. Pharaoh had his magicians there and his sorcerers. They were very clever. They duplicated or replicated what they thought was just a trick. But the fact was, Moses' snake was a real snake, and Moses ate up, just devoured all those others. A clear indication that God is running the show. You know something interesting? When I've gone to people to share with them the message of the gospel, almost without fail, now not every time, but almost without fail, even if that individual chooses to reject Jesus, refuses to believe in him as Savior and Lord of his life, but almost without fail, that individual will say, you know, I saw something happen one time. Or, you know, I know a person in whose life God did this. Yes, I, I hey, listen, I have seen an indication a demonstration of God's power. In fact, many of these people will tell you that they think they're all right with God because one day something terrible happened to them and they pled with God that he would bail them out, that he would deliver them, or that he would raise them up from their sickbed. And they'll say, you know, God, I know God did that. As if the fact that God did that makes them all right with God. Well, listen, the Bible tells us when the rain falls and waters gardens, it falls on the just as well as the unjust. That's just the love of God. And this was just the, the mercy and the grace of God. Moses walking in and saying, Pharaoh, God's plan is this. You're to let his people go. And don't think you're dealing with me. You're dealing with God. If you want to see a little indication of that, watch this. Wham! And that rod became a serpent. Now, Pharaoh struggled with that. But I want to tell you something. If, if you know God is speaking to you, you know what he's saying. You know what he wants you to do. He's clearly, forcefully indicated his desire for you, and you have rejected that. The next thing God's going to do is remind you that he's running the show. You will see, you'll witness some demonstration somewhere. You'll see something that's so big, only God could have done it. I've been reading recently some of the statements made by astronomers as we have in this last decade 
with quantum leaps moved our capacity to view what's out there in the universe, you know. The Hubble telescope, for instance. I mean, I've downloaded some of those pictures. Incredible. And they say we just keep looking further and further and further out into the universe. I was intrigued by what one scientist said. When he was asked how, you know, what, what do you say about what these astronomers see out there in the universe? When he was asked that, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, it seems as if we are constantly coming up to the precipice, up to an edge in looking at the universe. And every time he said we look over the edge, we find God there. Isn't that interesting? A demonstration of God's power, a demonstration of God's sovereignty. There was a book which was written two years ago which literally rattled the cage of the scientific world. It was a book by a man named Norman Behe. He wrote a a book entitled Darwin's Black Box in which he just exploded Darwinism and the theory, which is all it was, of evolution because most people have taken that which is a theory and and assumed that it's actual fact. And, And he said if Darwin had known what we know now about the basic cell structure. Darwin didn't have the capacity. He couldn't look at it. He could not see the thousands of components of an individual cell. He thought when you got down to the cell, you were down to the basic. He said if Darwin had known, he would have understood how absolutely absurd and foolish the theory of evolution is. Obviously, he said, God is bigger than anything we think. Isn't that interesting? I read a, a testimony one time of a, of a human physiologist who was a professing atheist. And in a class one day, they were discussing the vertebrate eye, such as the eye you have in your head, all right? And um, she said, well, well, suppose it didn't evolve. She said, you know, evolution is based upon, you know, whatever happening, having a positive impact. And she said, you think about the, the, the folly of an eye evolving. What good would a hole be in the head if it didn't have a, an eye to go in it? But what would, good would it be for there to have an eye if there wasn't some way to connect it to the brain? And, and, and how could an evolving brain even have uh, a, a part of it which dealt with optical information if it had never had an eye before. What advantage would all of this bring? And she said, suppose it didn't evolve. She didn't even mention God. And they all looked at her and said, we don't believe in God like you do. In other words, their assumption was, you have to be an evolutionist and an atheist or you have to be, believe in God if you deny evolution. She said, that began my journey to God. You see, when God begins to speak to you, and he's speaking to every one of us here about specific issues in our life, for some it seems to be something so small and inconsequential, you don't even think it makes any difference if you decide this morning to do it and go out and do it. You think, well, I can just say no another day. And so God has clearly revealed his will to you. You've just waited on that. You've rejected that. And now you are witnessing demonstrations of God's sovereignty and God's power and God's authority. Did you know that according to Romans chapter 1 verse 20, and I I hope you'll write this down someplace in your heart, did you know that the natural order of the universe, just the way this world's made, contains sufficient testimony 
of the power and testimony of God. So much so that the closing statement of verse 20, Romans chapter 1 is this, so then they are without excuse. There's enough in this world that testifies to God's sovereignty and God's power so that you are without excuse. What if you do it like Pharaoh did? What if you choose to rationalize? Pharaoh turned to his magicians and said, can you do something like that? They huddled together and said, yeah, we can pull off a trick like that, we think. And so pretty soon they were out there throwing down rods, and these rods were through whatever way they made happen. These rods looked like they were snakes on the ground, and, and um, maybe they were trained snakes, you know, who knows? I don't know what it was, but, but you know, they were duplicating this. And so Pharaoh just rationalized, and, and maybe you're rationalizing this morning. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't really need to obey God today. I don't need to trust in Jesus as my Savior. Or, or this sin that I'm involved in, I don't need to forsake this. Or this call that God has issued to my heart, I don't need to answer today. Or that relationship that needs to be corrected, I can wait till next week or next month, some other time to do that. I have time to respond because, I mean, after all, I've got my life, God's got his plan. But one of these days, I'll, you know... I, I can explain this. This is not really God. I just have, I'm having a bad day. It must have been something that I ate. That's the reason that I feel the way I do this morning in church. It was probably a bad night last night. I'm not really under conviction from God. God's not really prompting me to make that decision at the close of this service at that invitation time. No, that's something else that's going on in my life right now. Suppose you rationalize. Then God puts it in third gear. All right, first of all, he clearly demonstrates his will to you so that you know God's speaking to you. You reject that, then God uh, demonstrates his power, his sovereignty, he lets you know that, that he's out there. You've got to deal with him, but suppose you rationalize that. Then God's going to bring in your life the discipline of difficulties. God will bring the discipline of difficulties into your life. Life's going to become something less than easy for you. It's interesting how we think that our disobedience just messes up our lives, but no one else's. You know, Dad, you're out here this morning. Your wife has pled with you to get right with God. Your children have pled with you. I don't even know why you're here this morning, but here you are this morning. You know down deep inside you, there's a cold, hard heart that is not warm to God. You're very religious, but you know you're not right with God. And God's been hammering away on your heart. He's shown you what he wants, and you didn't respond to that. He's demonstrated his power. Maybe he's worked in the life of your family your wife, your children, somebody else that you know, you're some friend of yours, and you've rationalized that away. And so you think, well, I'm going to just continue to rationalize and reject and refuse. It's not going to bother anybody but me. Wrong. Not only will you suffer, everybody around you will begin suffering. Your family will suffer. Your friends will suffer. You see, other people suffer because of your personal disobedience. The discipline of difficulties. By the way, for a while, even the children of Israel suffered because of Pharaoh's disobedience. Notice what happened in verses 7, or chapters 7 through 8. As a matter of fact, God began to work with them to the extent that even the magicians said, this is God. <laughs> we can't do this. What happened? Well, the water became blood. 
I mean, if water was standing in glasses, it became blood. If water was in a creek, it became blood. If water was in a jar, it became blood. So much so that all the people of the land were, were going out beside the river and digging holes so that they get strained water. It became blood so much that the fish in the rivers began to, to die. The, everything began to stink, the Bible says. And Pharaoh still hardened his heart. Life was difficult. Life was difficult for everybody. And so then came the frogs. I mean, if having water turned to blood was not bad enough, then came the frogs. And there were frogs everywhere. You turn back the covers on your bed and there were frogs. You open up your pantry, there were frogs. Open up the oven, there were frogs. Close the door, put duct tape around all the windows and turn around and there was a frog watching you do that the whole time. Frogs in the attic, frogs in the basement, frogs everywhere. You go over there to get uh, uh, some clothes out of the closet and, and you take them off the hanger and a frog falls out of the clothes. Wrong side, there must be a bigger frog someplace else. I mean, there were frogs absolutely everywhere. Do you think the people of Israel enjoyed that, or of Egypt enjoyed that? No, neither did the people of Israel. Everybody across that land was suffering because of Pharaoh's refusal to obey God, the discipline of difficulties. God's just giving him a glimmer of what's about to happen. Pharaoh, I'm sending some warning shots across your bow. And you know what? This morning, this morning, some of you are here whom God has loved enough that he sent a warning shot across the bow of your life. I've had men say to me when there have been close calls with their family, man, I was afraid this was going to happen. Why? Well, I know I've been out of the will of God. I know I've been out of the will of God. I, I was just afraid, man, for a minute there, I thought that was going to be death. For a minute there, I thought it was going to be worse than it was. Why? Well, I knew, I, I've known I've been walking out of the will of God. People like this walk on eggshells. They've got any sense at all because here are the discipline of difficulties. And then there was lice. Moses took that dust and threw it in the air and all the dust over all of Pharaoh became lice. Man, that's not a very pleasant experience, is it? When we were at our missionary orientation in Pine Mountain, Georgia, our son John came home from school with a note that said, you need to treat John. He has head lice. Not headlights, head lice. I mean, our daughters were bailing out of that cabin. They wouldn't come in. They were going out windows and doors. Ah! Head lice, no! I mean, and then we had to get this stuff, you know, and wash his head and, you know, duck him and go out. And, and then, you know, just, you know, all this stuff. Just, that's one kid with head lice. He caught it from some other. In fact, there were three or four missionary families who were invaded with head lice from that school. But this wasn't head lice, isolated incident. This was lice everywhere. And the magicians began to beg Pharaoh. This is, the, this is the finger of God. They said, listen, you can't deny this is God. Pharaoh, let those people go. Are you going to bring this land to nothing just because of your pride? Let those people go. You see, if you reject God when he, when he clearly reflects his will for your life, and if you try to rationalize it away when he demonstrates his power, then God is going to bring the discipline of difficulties into your life. You know what difficulties do? Difficulties present us with the opportunity to reach out in faith to God. Difficulties are really a call to worship the things you're going through in your life, financial problems, health problems, 
physical problems, family problems, job problems, whatever it is that you're going through. These difficulties are God's call for you to reach out in faith. They're not always the result of sin. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. But I want to tell you something. Every time you're going through a difficulty, that's an opportunity to worship God. I look back here and see Pete Lancaster. Pete, you've really reached out to God in faith, haven't you? Sitting there with his arm around Martha, looking pretty as you please. You think about the little pilgrimage he's been on, little pilgrimage, little to us. You know, the difference between major surgery and minor surgery is that major is mine, minor is yours. And so they've walked this pilgrimage. But I'll guarantee you that during those days, what? He's reached out in faith. Here's Shannon Wilcox over there, who's whose brother, 45 years of age, keeled over with a heart attack and brokenhearted and and amazing. There's this family and here's this wife and here's this loving sister. But I'll tell you this, I know from standing there in their home, this has been an opportunity to reach out in faith to Jesus. There are people here that we're praying for. One man, in fact, we're going to get together tonight, some of us, and pray for Larry Volker after church. Do just what the Scripture said. We're going to anoint him with oil. We're going to pray over him. But I'll tell you this, these difficulties, these physical difficulties, have been God's call to worship, haven't they, Joe? Haven't they, Larry? God's call to worship. Worship me. Trust me. Believe in me. And so, you see, God really wants you to respond. This is just the first three steps. We'll deal with the balance of those. I hope every person in this auditorium is back in this place tonight. As we see how God then begins to show you there really is a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. I mean, there are things that the Egyptians experienced, the Israelites didn't experience, and Pharaoh went out to look at it. And then God begins to deal with you at a deeper level. Until ultimately you see, you know, the end of this thing is death. And by the way, the end of that thing is not only eternal separation from God in a place called hell for every person this morning who refuses to trust in Jesus, for every believer who stomps his foot and shakes his fist in the face of God, there's what the Bible calls the sin unto death. So you see, it's not just for nothing that this message is being preached. It is God shouting at you, God saying to you, God's spirit convicting you, God confronting you about that issue in your life. He's spoken to you. Maybe you said that's too big or that's too little or who cares or I don't matter or I'll put it off or I'll wait till next week. Does God care? Does it make any difference if you put off obeying him? You better believe. Listen to these warnings, to the waiting. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow our hearts before you, we almost shudder to think how serious an issue this is, just putting off, just waiting, just delaying, refusing to obey you. And we reject and we resist and we rationalize. And Lord, here you set in motion this incredible, series of events in our lives to encourage us to trust you, to open our hearts toward you. You've shown us your love toward us. You've encouraged us to repent by just telling us what you want us to do. But like Pharaoh, so often we say, well, I'll wait. And Lord, you've shown us that you are God. And we've said, well, I 
I think I can wait a while. And Lord, many here today are going through the, the discipline of difficulties, not to say that every difficulty is a result of sin or every, every problem we have is because we've disobeyed you. No, because you help us to grow through these problems. But Lord, if we should come to these difficulties and fail to grow, fail to reach out in faith, fail to trust in you, then Lord, what will the end be? Father, I pray trusting that your Holy Spirit moving in this place this morning will just somehow put your hand on the heart of every person in this auditorium. And Lord, I pray that this altar would fill with those who will say, Father, I want to be obedient immediately to you. Lord, I pray that every man, woman, every teenager here this morning who has said, you know, yeah, I need to trust in Jesus, but I I haven't yet. I pray they would run to the altar. Lord, there are fathers that need to come and mothers who need to come and young men, young ladies who need to come and sisters and brothers who need to come. Lord, there are friends of ours who need to come to this altar and we need to come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm not going to put it off. I know what you're saying to my heart. I want to embrace that. I want to choose you. For some, it's to choose you as Savior and as Lord. For others, it is to choose to follow you into the waters of baptism to openly confess what's happened in our hearts already. For others, it's to become a part of this church family or to answer a call. And Lord, for others, it will be to come to this altar and say, Lord, I know the issue you're addressing. I've argued with you about it. I've put it off. But this morning, I surrender all. Lord, I pray that we'd come to this altar just as we are, just as we are, that we would come to this altar. And Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts to say yes to you. Now, while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, let me say we're going to stand in a moment. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Our counselors are coming even now. Would you determine in your heart wherever you are seated on this lower floor, here at the front, in the back, in the middle, in the galleries on either side, up in the balcony, either side of this balcony, all the way back to the back of the balcony, wherever you are, if you are aware God is speaking to your heart about an issue. You have not accommodated his desire. But today you're saying yes to him. I want to encourage you when we stand and the choir begins leading us in this hymn of invitation. Would you just step to an aisle, make your way forward. For some that means you'll need to say this to a counselor. I want to trust Jesus. You know you're a sinner. The Bible tells us the wage of sin is death. We're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. All of us are sinners. That's no surprise to God that you admit that you're a sinner, but you can't be saved till you do. You see, it's only sinners who reach out to a savior. And if this morning you're willing to say, look, I don't just do sins, I am a sinner. And I want to trust in Jesus by faith as my savior. Would you come and say to one of these counselors this morning, today, today, I am trusting in Jesus. Today, I am trusting in Jesus. Some of you may need to be, bring a friend who's beside you or a family member. Some may need to turn to a friend or family member and say, look, would you go to the altar with me? Don't miss that opportunity. Today, today, I am trusting Jesus. For others, it's to join this church. You're a visitor here this morning. Maybe you've been here many times, but you've never planted your life in a church where you can serve. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So you're coming saying to the council, look, today I want to join. We want to join this church. You may come as a family, as a couple, as an individual, and you want this to be your church family. Come say that to one of these counselors. 
And it could be that you'll want to join this army of prayer warriors who'll be here at this altar. And you'll want to kneel and say, Lord, I know what the issue is. And today I'm saying yes to you. When I leave this auditorium, by your grace, I'm going to go out to do what it is you're speaking to me about. Or to forsake what it is you've asked me to forsake. Lord, by your grace today, I choose no longer to disobey you. I choose to obey you. Today, I'm doing that. Would you say that today? In your heart, prayer warriors will be coming, counselors will be coming. If you've made a decision in earlier services, such as those who were baptized a few moments ago, come be seated down here to uh, your right at the front where it says seating for new members so we can introduce you to your new church home. You may have joined from a sister church or been baptized and we've not introduced you yet. Come be seated over here at the front where it says seating for new members. Your invitation. Have you made up your mind? Now, let me ask you this question. When we stand, when I pray and say amen and the choir begins singing, will you obey God? Will you obey God? What does it sound like to say, no, I'm not? What are the consequences of saying, no, I will not obey God? What are the consequences? Why don't you choose to obey God in these moments? Reach out in faith to him. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray, believing that your Holy Spirit is at work in our midst. Bring to this altar, Father, all who will trust in you, all who will agree with you, all who will say yes to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.